Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of Ag Annex Talks. My name is Alex Bernard, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager and Manure Manager. For this episode, we're focusing on communicating with consumers. The percentage of Canadians who don't work in agriculture has grown drastically over the past few decades. Now, only 2-3% to of Canadians are farmers. Many who live in cities have never been to a farm or met a farmer, and they don't always make the connection between the food they eat and where it comes from. As the population has shifted away from farming, farmers have had to work on communicating with people who may not understand what they do, or have opinions based on bad information. In recent years, many farmers have done the work of sharing their lives and answering questions or debunking myths on social media and by hosting farm tours. There are also many resources and groups that focus on making ag accessible to the public. Today I'll be speaking with leaders in two such organizations, Kelly Daynard, Executive Director of Farm and Food Care Ontario, and John Jameson, Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. So my name is Kelly Daynard and I am the Executive Director of Farm and Food Care Ontario. We're based in Guelph. We're a provincial organization with really active sister groups in both Saskatchewan and Prince Edward Island. Excellent. So we're here talking today about consumer advocacy. So what are some of the challenges farmers face in speaking with consumers? You know, it's, it's interesting because if you asked me this question two months ago pre-COVID, I might have a totally different answer for you. So back then, I would have told you that it's really hard to get the consumer's attention. And we in agriculture think everybody should be absolutely focused on where their food comes from. And we're all ag proud people. But the reality is I drive a car every day and I don't have a clue how it's put together, nor do I really care. So back before COVID, I would have told you that competing in the airspace and trying to get accurate information out to people in a way that they would care about was probably our biggest challenge. We are now three or four or more generations removed from farming ancestors in many cases, and people don't have a clue where to start getting information, and they're busy, and they just want food on the table. Now, fast forward to May when we're having this conversation, it's a very different world out there and uh, there's an awful lot of challenges, but there's also some opportunities in that consumers in Canada have never ever been used to going to a grocery store and seeing empty shelves. Mm-hmm. And I think food freedom day in Canada this year was around February the 12th. So that's the average day that the average consumer has made enough money for the entire year to buy their entire groceries. And so, you know, back in February, conversations centered around things like sustainability of food, plastics, like recyclable plastics, hormones or antibiotics or GMO free and all of those labels that people seem to focus an awful lot on where, you know, my theory is we live in Canada and we can trust pretty much anything in our food system and how lucky are we for that. But now consumers are starting to realize that the food system 
can be vulnerable and there may not always be eggs in the grocery store, even though we're not producing any less eggs. But I think it's a really interesting time. People now don't care about the label on the eggs. They just want to find out that there are eggs. And so it's a different, it's a different conversation, but it's also maybe it's an opportunity, right? To talk about our food system. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of people are more aware of where their food comes from now that there are those shortages. Right. And the news is covering an awful lot of the challenges that agriculture is facing right now. It started right in March with our access to the essential seasonal workers that come in every year and help to plant our spring crops or prune our orchards and get ready for that. And then it went into some of the challenges that our processors are having. Back in early April, there was a a few days where there was some talk about disposal of milk and people were really hypersensitive to that and that made the news. So I think that there's a lot more agricultural stories out there right now and it shows the importance of our industry, but it also shows some of the vulnerable spots too. Sometimes you get the perception that people don't understand the, the difficulties of agriculture who don't live them all the time. Totally true. And it's a giant domino effect. And I think even us working in this industry didn't, you know, you don't think about how interconnected everything is, you know, a distiller closes down or takes a break, and then there's no dry distiller grains for livestock or a pulp and paper mill in the maritime shuts its doors for a few days. Well, that's where the, you know, the shavings come for bedding for some of the animals here in Ontario. And it's a giant domino effect. And I've, I've never seen a time where every industry is stretched as thin and with as many challenges as it is now. Yeah, it's a, it's unprecedented. Unprecedented for sure. We can talk about consumer concerns, but as we've already discussed, what they were before and what they are now is fairly different. You know, yeah, those concerns are still there. And the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity does consumer attitudes testing every year. They do a really in-depth job of, you know, reaching out to Canadian non-farming consumers and asking what their questions and concerns are. And then groups like Farming Food Care use that data to prepare some of our products, like the booklet that we write it called The Real Dirt on Farming. And those, those questions haven't changed an awful lot in the 20 years I've been in this industry. You know, the top four questions that consumers have in normal times, not right now, is, you know, GMOs and pesticides or crop protection use and hormones and antibiotics. And, you know, agriculture is complicated. It's very science-based. Sometimes we in agriculture want to start with the science and consumers want to start with the ethics. So we talk about why we can do something. You know, Health Canada allows us to do this or this product is deemed safe by the PMRA and consumers have the ethical question and they just want to know, should we use it? Should we house animals that way? Should we put that on our land? That sort of thing. And I think that often... We need to take a step back from our logical science-based minds in agriculture and talk about why we do things and the passion we have for this industry we all work in. And then maybe after you build that trust factor and after you have those conversations and they understand your passion and your history and your context, then sometimes you can get to the science-based stuff. Mm -hmm. 
learning about glyphosate from the farmer side of things really changed my mind. So when Kellogg stopped accepting glyphosate-treated grain or when they made that decision, I could see how that was made under consumer pressure as opposed to necessarily what was best for the farmers, what was best for the grain, and what was best for the consumers, frankly. 100%. And that there's that GMO-free label that is a marketing tool out of the U.S., and I consider it just a lot of bunk. And uh, because the things that you see it on are things that never, there isn't a GMO alternative. So it's currently on boxes of Triscuit crackers, as an example. Well, there is no GM wheat approved for use in North America. I've seen it on water bottles. Well, that's, I mean, I've also seen gluten-free labels on water bottles. I've seen it on greenhouse vegetables when there is no GM equivalent. So I have no problem with labeling food to say what's in it, but when you label it in terms of what's not in it, or when you label it in a way that's meant to incite fear in consumers, so buy my product because you're scared of the other, I think it does the whole retail sector a real disservice because you know, we live in a country where we've got among the safest food on earth. I trust it all. And uh, to do that just uh, helps to add to the mystification and, and the confusion out there. So how do farmers handle that? How do they work against that without coming across as defensive? And that's a challenge, right? Because we are all really proud of this industry we work in. And it gets frustrating to us when people don't understand it or they think they understand it, but they maybe don't, or they've read some sort of a Facebook post. And we all know that that can lead you down a rabbit hole. So I think it's really important that we take every chance we have to debunk a myth and to answer questions and to do it in a way that is not confrontational, not defensive, just, uh, hey, you know, I've got some expertise in this area. Can I answer your questions on this? And I think that, you know, it takes practice and it takes everybody. And so often I'll have farmers call in to the Farm and Food Care Office and say, hey, Kelly, you need to respond to this or your team needs to respond to this. And I always say, or we can do it together because I think it really does take every single person working in right from the primary producer to the transporter to the the retail outlet, we've all got a role to play in answering questions and to do it in a way, you know, we're proud of what we do and we wouldn't be working in this industry if we didn't believe in it. And so conveying the pride we have in the food that we're helping produce is the best message you can convey. Now, would you say social media has helped or hindered this process? <laughs> Depends on the day that you ask me that question. <laughs> So I think social media is an interesting beast. And I studied communications in university a long time ago. And it's funny because all of the tools we use now in communications are none of the things I learned in university. But I think social media has given us an amazing opportunity to level the playing field. And we can engage in conversations that we never otherwise had the chance to do it. And I'll, I'll think back to early days of Twitter. And I hadn't yet figured out what Twitter could do for agriculture. It was really early days. And then one day, Oprah Winfrey was still on the TV back then doing her show. And she was doing an anti-conventional agriculture show. And I remember 
watching my smartphone and watching the TV as I watched her show going on and watching the hashtag Oprah. And all of a sudden I got it because farmers all across North America were jumping in on the conversation saying, you know, hey, Oprah, that's not true. Hey, Oprah, why don't you come and tour my farm? Hey, Oprah. And I thought, okay, even if she's not reading that conversation, some of her staff are, or people around the world are. And it was just a really amazing example of, you know what, we actually can get our story out there in a way that, that people can find. And, you know, sometimes we are guilty of talking in our own silos, so to speak, but there are an awful lot of people listening to us now. And whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of the other channels, there are some amazing farmers out there telling their stories. I think of farmer Tim, who is a dairy farmer here in Ontario. He doesn't farm that far away from me and I've known him for a long time. You know, he has now tens of thousands of followers on his Facebook page, wanting to know about his daily life on the farm. And he's a really gentle, approachable persona. And he really just tells it like it is. And there are farmers all across Canada doing that and just doing a beautiful job of it. Sandy Brock, another Ontario farmer, a sheep farmer. She's got a massive YouTube following right now. And it's a lot of urban people that just want to know more about life on the farm. So I feel like that's an amazing opportunity. The challenge, of course, is that every anti-agriculture group has the same platform. So we have to, again, just keep debunking the myths and keep telling our stories and keep answering those questions. Are there any times where it's not worth engaging? Yeah. So at Farm and Food Care, we don't engage with activist groups. That is the one group we stay away from. They can try to reach out on social media and they may try to engage with us. But my theory is I'm not going to spend my time on them. I'm going to spend my time on the, you know, 95% of the Ontario population that is genuinely interested and wants to learn more and don't already have their minds made up and kind of turned off. Yeah, that's the tricky part is some people, that's what they've been led to believe. And so that's what they're going to believe and all of their evidence they find leads to that. Well, and, it's, and I've seen it in my day-to-day world here too. We do, a, I'll use one example and, and she knows I use it. So I think we're good with this. But a few years ago, I had a lady come on one of our food influencer tours and we picked them all up in downtown Toronto at a hotel and we were taking them out to farms for the day. And the first farm we were going to go to was a dairy farm. And she got on the bus in the morning and she was very clear in telling me that she had some concerns about the dairy sector and that she didn't drink milk. And I said to her, you know what? I give you all the credit in the world for coming on this tour, despite your concerns about the industry. And I said, I want to talk to you at the end of the day and see if anything shifted. And she's a lovely lady. So anyway, the day started and we got to a dairy farm and we got there just in time. They milk three times a day and we got there just in time for their middle of the day milking. And it's a beautiful farm and it's a beautiful barn. And we were standing in the the milking parlor and the farmer is talking about the animals. And uh, I look over and she's got this look of complete horror on her face. And I quickly went over and I said, what, what's the problem? I see your face. And she said, why are they all bleeding? And I looked over 
what she she had not seen the teat dip being applied to the cows, but she saw the udder dripping with the red mixture. And so her confirmation bias was that milking hurts cows and that the udder was bleeding after the cows were milked. So I quick got the farmer to explain what teat dip is and why you apply that solution at the end. And it's a very great answer, but she just hadn't seen the process. And it was a really, she and I have had many, many conversations since, and she's a great advocate for local food, but she and I both said it was fascinating that we were looking at the identical thing. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, how beautiful are these cows? And her worry was that they were being hurt by being milked because that was her confirmation bias. And she and I have laughed about it since. And she says, I tell that story all the time. And I told her I tell that story all the time too, but it was just a really interesting example for us. Yeah, really crystallizes it. Right. Is education the goal when some people are dead set against it, when other people are just underinformed? I tend to stay away from the word education at Farm and Food Care because I feel like people don't want to be educated, but they want to have a conversation. And they want to know that those of us working in agriculture care about what we do. And I think that once they make the connection and whether it's, you know, meeting the one farmer that they've ever met in their lives and having a conversation on a, you know, at church or on an airplane or wherever you have those random conversations, I think mostly they just want to have a conversation and they want to know that the people producing their food have a degree of knowledge, that they have a degree of expertise and they have passion for doing what they do. And if you can demonstrate those things, then you might get to the details of how GM technology works or the difference between organic and conventional or any of those, but you've got to start with your passion. And you know, those random conversations can happen anywhere. I have a chicken farmer that I know quite well through Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan, and he keeps a whole album of photos and videos on his phone of his chicken barn. And he says, I've showed those things everywhere. He says, even on cruise ships, he and his wife go on one cruise a year. He says, I'll pull out my phone and say, well, this is what my birds look like when they come into my barn. And this is what they look at, you know, six weeks of age and, and to have that sort of ability. And how credible is that when you can just pull out your smartphone and show, you know, show what you do? Yes. Yeah. There's no better evidence than that. And I don't know that I've met a farmer who isn't passionate. I don't think you get into this field if you're not passionate well, about it. There's easier ways to make a living. And I mean, my cousin is a dairy farmer in Eastern Ontario. He's the eighth generation of his family to live and work on that farm. And they threw a big party for the farm's 200th anniversary a couple of years ago that we all went to. And and I was standing there that night watching this beautiful event happen. And I thought, you know, there's no eighth generation anything except maybe primary producers. And that is just, it's an amazing legacy. Yeah, you don't hear about that anywhere else. And it makes me understand better why, why there might be a little bit more defensiveness coming from farmers when people are criticizing their, their line of work without a complete understanding because that is not only their work, it's their family history. Exactly. It's their livelihood. They're feeding their children the same products. They're living on the same land. So it's, you know, it's in their best interest to take care of their animals and it's in their best interest to take care of their land because they really are, you know, they could be planning a hundred years ahead, right? 
It's an interesting dichotomy. And as the average consumer gets further and further removed, we have to be even more creative of finding ways to tell those stories and, and engage. And whether that's the farmer that sells at their local farmer's market or from their gate or engaging on social media or, you know, we've got this virtual reality website that we've had 2 million views just in the last couple of months since COVID started because everybody's looking for online resources. And so for the person in downtown Toronto or Vancouver that doesn't even own a car and will never get out to rural Ontario, now you've got, we've got to find ways for them to be able to virtually tour farms so that we can show our transparency. We've got nothing to hide or even filming our farms and putting them online for you to see. That's so cool. Now, is that available on the Farm and Food Care Ontario website? Yeah, there's a link from there, or if you go directly to farmfood360.ca, it's a website that we've been working on for about four years, and I think there's 15 farms and food processing facilities up there now. There's farms from Saskatchewan, there's farms from Prince Edward Island, and we're just starting to work on the three more that we'll be filming this summer. And certainly in this COVID environment that we're currently in, I've just been dazzled. I think we had about 700,000 views to that website last year, but we're up to 2 million already and it's, it's only May. So people are looking for educational resources as their kids are at home. We've got a bunch of school boards promoting it. Our sister groups across Canada with agriculture in the classroom are promoting it. And it shows that there is such a need for those online resources about agriculture too. Yeah. People are, like you say, they're busy, and if it's that much easier to access the information, they're much more likely to do it. Exactly. And farming food care, sadly, we will never have a budget that will allow us to take every person in Ontario or Canada out to a farm. But that way, virtually, we, we absolutely can make those farm tours available and, and easily accessible. Now, are there any other resources you would recommend either for consumers looking to get more information or for farmers looking to find a better way to communicate? Yeah, well, there's so for consumers, our flagship piece for the farm and food care organizations across Canada is the Real Dirt on Farming booklet. We're just in the process of writing the fifth edition, and we've put about four and a half million copies of that booklet out across Canada over the last decade. And it is meant to be kind of a one-stop shop answering questions about food and farming. We take those Canadian Centre for Food Integrity questions and then we uh, write the answers to them. So that booklet, there'll be a new version coming out this fall. But for farmers who want to be better advocates telling their stories, there's lots of resources on the Farm and Food Care website on how to tell your stories. We also offer speak up team training programs, both us and Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan, and we've trained tens of thousands of farmers over the years. It's not telling them what to say because I've never met a farmer where you can tell them what to say, <laughs> but it's more how to explain your story, how to tell your story in a way that somebody who knows nothing about our industry might understand and how to start those conversations. And, you know, as you said earlier, how to, how to have those conversations without getting defensive because lots of people have tough questions about agriculture, but most of the time they just genuinely want to know they're not picking a fight they're just genuinely curious and if you're the first person they've ever met that works in food and farming you might get hit with every question they've been saving up excellent thank you so much you are welcome 
Hi, Alex. Thanks for inviting me on to your podcast today. My name is John Jameson, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. Awesome. Could you explain what the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity is? Yeah, the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity is a nonprofit organization. We're based here in Guelph, but we're a national organization. And essentially, our job is to work toward building public trust in food and agriculture across Canada. And we do that by providing research, by working with a variety of organizations and partners and communicating directly to the public. Do you find it difficult to build trust? Or I guess, is there a, not like, is there a strategy, but is there something that's reliably able to do that? I think when we think about building public trust in our food system, and in your case, uh, in particular, in agriculture, the big thing is to understand what the general public is thinking about the sector. So one of the things that we do every year is an annual survey where we survey at a minimum 2,000 Canadians where we get their attitudes on particular parts of the food system. What are your thoughts around pesticides, animal welfare, hormones, those types of things. So once you have a sense of what the consumer is thinking, then you can plan your strategy. And a lot of that is about being open and transparent I think one of the things that that really builds trust is having the food system work as a whole so that there's a coordinated message. And I think that it's something that that I think has a lot of value and that you're also open to a conversation with the general public. So if they have questions, don't be scared to answer them and answer them truthfully and openly and to have your responses based in science, but not necessarily a scientific answer. I think to build public trust, I think we need to be engaging with the public and also make our story interesting. Now, is it difficult to have a unified message when there are so many different grower or egg groups out there? I think that's one of the biggest challenges because there's so many different organizations and sectors within agriculture. But if you think of the broad topics, you know, what do people want to know about? And I think it boils down to, you know, science and technology. We use science and technology in our lives every day. We use it in food production, whether it's at the primary level or it's at the processing or even in in retail. How do we tell our story around science and technology? What are we doing in climate change? And what are we doing around food safety and health? I think if you think about the broad topics, then we can help gather and present a coordinated message. And that doesn't preclude each organization telling their own story as well. I think they have to do that. But I think we have to think about what are the broad topics that the consumer can wrap their head around and how do we present them in a coordinated way? That's the tricky part, taking all that knowledge that farmers have and condensing it down into what the consumer wants to hear. Or what and they I think want that's to know. one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. Are there any other challenges facing farmers in communicating with consumers? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge we have is the image that the consumer has of agriculture. And the idea of the farmer with the bib overalls and the fork in the little red barn. And that, unfortunately, that image is still in a lot of people's minds. And I go back to a photo I used to have in my office in Prince Edward Island, and it was a picture of a a young guy, about 30 years old, and he was standing in his dairy barn with some cows in the foreground. And almost everyone that came into my office said, I love that picture. And I said, well, let's, let's look at this picture. I said, the cows are tied up. I said, there's a very low ceiling in the barn, so it's only a few inches above the farmer's head. 
the fluorescent lights, there's a pretty poor fan in the back. And I said, not only are the cows tied up, their tails are tied up to keep them out of the poop. And I said, do you know what they've done with that barn? They've torn it down and they've replaced it with a new barn where the cows aren't tied up and where you have curtains that go up and down based on the temperature and you have good ventilation and natural light. But I said, if you were driving down the road and you looked at the old type barn and you looked at the new barn, what one would, you re what one would your eyes go to or which one would resonate with you? And almost everyone said, yeah, you know what? I like the old barn. Even though it doesn't look after the animals as well, the animal welfare piece is not there. It's not as good for the farmer, but that's the image that people have. And that's the challenge that I think we have to overcome is the idea that agriculture is, for some reason, we like that 1950s or 40s model of ag, but the reality is so much different. And we do a much better job of looking after animals today. We do a much better job of nutrient management. We do a much better job of managing our own lives. And that's the message that we have to try and get across to the consumer. And our research shows that last year we asked people what they know about modern farming practices. And 91% of Canadians said they know little or nothing. But 60% said they wanted to know more. So there's where the opportunity is. Yeah, that's the trick, finding how to communicate with them effectively. Now, yeah. I find that a lot of people who think of farming as that red barn in the fork find that the new ag practices seem a bit sterile and they're worried about it taking the human element out of it. People see a modern farm operation and they forget that it's actually a family farm. Most farms in Canada, almost all of them, are still family farms. They may be larger than what we're used to. So for example, my brother-in-law and my sister are dairy farmers in Prince Edward Island. They have a, one of the larger farms, one of the larger dairy farms at PEI. Now it's, it's three brothers that are working together to manage that farm. And now my nephew is also part of the operation. So where years ago, they may have all had their small operation, but now it's combined into one for a variety of reasons. But people see that large farm and they think, you know, that's really not what I have in my head, but they forget that it's still a family farm and there's still the human element. So I think that when we tell our stories and we know that the average consumer wants to hear from farmers. So if, if you're talking about animal welfare, for example, they want to hear from a farmer. So as we tell our story, if we can put that personal attachment to it, so have the farmer tell them their own words, this is what I do. This is why I do it. This is what makes me get up in the morning. This is how I manage my farm and treat my animals. I think it resonates with the public and to have that open and transparent conversation and to put that human element into the story. And I think if we present our message by storytelling, by having that human element, then there's an opportunity for us to connect with the consumer. And, and it is a very new piece for agriculture because for many years, we never had to think about communicating with this consumer. We just did our business. And so this is, in the last 15 or 20 years, this is a very new piece. So industry is starting to adapt to it, and they're doing a much better job today of speaking to the general public than they did in the past. Yeah, I think this is one of those situations where social media has been a help because I see so many farmers taking that opportunity to to tell their story through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. and that evidence that they can provide that way. It's just, this is their daily life. This is what they do. I think 
the authenticity that comes through is important. The other thing is what we do in growing food is very visual. So it lends itself well to social media because it is so visual. You know, to have a tractor out in a field or to have a, a farmer feeding his animals or, you know, wonderful images that resonate with the public. Yeah, people want, well, the 60% says that they want to know and they want to probably hear good things. And that's what, that's what this allows people to hear and farmers to provide. Yeah. Now, how would you recommend farmers handle misinformation? I, I think they need to address it. It's funny, when I worked for government for a number of years, and, and when misinformation was out there, sometimes we thought to ourselves, maybe we don't respond to it, and it'll go away. Well, that's actually not the right approach, because if you don't respond to something, then it, it becomes, almost becomes a truth. So I think when misinformation is out there, farmers in the farm community and, and organizations like ours have to respond to it. And we say, you know what, that actually isn't the case. This is what we do. But you do it in a way that's non-combative, that's genuine, that's transparent, that's authentic. But we do have to address the non-correct information that, that is out there. Because if you don't, it builds on it. And it also emboldens the people that are presenting that misinformation. Because if they get away with it once, well, they'll say, okay, you know what, I got a pass here. I'm going to try it again. And I saw that when I worked in government and I was working closely with politicians in that sometimes they'd say, well, let, let's just not respond to that bad information that's out there. Then the person got a platform and then it just built from that. So you have to address it, but there is a proper way to do it. You can't be overly, you can't be overly defensive. And the thing is, the average consumer doesn't expect perfection in the production of their food but they do expect that you're progressing to a better model. And in every case, our commodity organizations, our farmers are all trying to look at how they can do things better. And that's the message that we need to get across. And when you present it as progress rather than perfection, I think people see that you're authentic, that you're genuine, but that you are trying to improve things every day. And that's a really important, really important message. And again, not to be overly defensive. We should be proud of what we do. We're growing more food on less land with a smaller environmental footprint than ever before. And we're feeding billions of people around the world when in fact very few people are actually willing to get up every morning and, and go to a barn or go to a field. So it allows the folks that are non-farmers to have that comfort level that there's someone out there with a commitment to put food on the table every day. And Canadians and Americans were very lucky that we have the food system we have and very fortunate that it's based on that science and technology and that, you know, we wouldn't want to go to a dentist that was using a 1950s technology, for example. But for some reason, you know, many people think that that's a model for agriculture, but it's not. And we should be proud of what we do. And, and when you're proud of what you do, it's much easier to present that information and that story. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that farmers can improve the conversation? I think farmers have improved what they've been doing significantly over the last number of years. And the farm organizations all understand that being open and transparent and that public trust is really important if you want to see your industry grow and thrive. When I was working in government, 
I was working in a province that the number one industry was agriculture. The number two industry was fisheries. I worked in, I was responsible for both of them. And my job was to grow the economy. And I didn't see innovation or technology or access to land or water as being the barrier. What I saw was public trust being the barrier. That was the thing that was holding us back. And I think farm organizations and farmers have come to the realization that if we want to continue to grow our economy and where there's great opportunities in agriculture and food, then we have to have that public trust. And as we are coming out of this pandemic, when we think about how we're going to rebuild our economy, agriculture and food have a huge opportunity to grow the economy. And I think we need to think about that, think about this opportunity, but also think about how we get the public on side as we build our industry going forward. Yeah, I think the pandemic's going to change how people interact with food, that they have a better understanding of how important agriculture and producers are. We've been very fortunate in Canada that we can go to a grocery store and basically pick out what we want. Because I think on average, the average grocery store has about 50,000 different items. Think of it. The small grocery store in in Fergus, where I live, would have 50,000, on average, 50,000 items that I could pick from. So we've been very fortunate and and maybe a little bit spoiled in Canada and the U.S. And uh, my partner came to Canada as a refugee. And when she was a refugee in her country with her family, she said, you know, for years we get up every morning and we just try to figure out how we could eat. And her attitude toward the food system was a whole lot different than anything I've seen because she doesn't worry about whether something is GMO free or whether it's organic. She just, she just wants to eat because she has that experience. And I think the pandemic has shown us a little bit that we need to really recognize the value of the food system we have in Canada. And I think it has changed and will continue to change the attitudes toward the public. The silver lining. <laughs> the silver lining, yes. What resources can you recommend for farmers? who either want to learn to communicate better or develop their own platform to speak with people? I think, again, I think if they look at our research, and most of it's open source, where they get a sense of what people's thoughts are around around their particular, whether it's animal welfare or pesticides, to think about what people are thinking. But also there are organizations out there that are dedicated to connecting with the consumer. For example, in Ontario, you have Farm and Food Care Ontario, and they do a great job of telling the agriculture story and presenting it in a way that's engaging and thoughtful and tells a story. So I would encourage farmers and farm organizations to work with their organizations, work with what we call the amplifier groups who are connecting consumers, learn from them, take in workshops, but to think about how do I communicate in a way that tells my story on a personal level? Because that's what people find interesting. You know, there are resources out there, whether it's research or whether it's courses on how to talk to consumers. But the main thing is just be yourself and be authentic. And I think that's where the real value is. Yeah, that always comes through. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. Thank you, Alex. Thanks to Kelly Daynard and John Jameson for speaking with me and to you for listening in. The resources we discussed will be available in the show notes at agannex.com. Don't forget to check back in two weeks on June 15th for the first episode of our series celebrating influential women in Canadian agriculture. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Ag Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Ag Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts. 
or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes. Mm-hmm.